of accountability results in havoc. Climate change is that havoc. I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Fellow Americans, in honor of President's Day, we're getting political. When it comes to hot button issues, climate change is scorching. It's too hot for some lawmakers to touch, and the ones who do often get burned. But how did protecting the planet become a matter of party politics? Why isn't climate change, which is so costly, on the conservative agenda? I went to former South Carolina Republican Congressman Bob Inglis for answers. He's a conservative and a climate change evangelist. Bob, I want to thank you so much for taking some time to talk about this with us because um, it's fascinating to me. It's a podcast I've wanted to do forever. So I have to start at the very beginning and ask you, do you believe in climate change? It's real. It's data. I usually don't like to use the word believe because it implies that somehow you got to have faith. And it's not at all a matter of faith. It's a matter simply of data. And so um, um, sometimes jokingly, I say, no, I don't believe in climate change. Um, all it is is data. It's not worthy of belief. Uh, my faith informs my reaction to the data, and it's bigger than the data. But climate change is just data. It's either whether you believe in yardsticks that are measuring sea level rise or thermometers that are measuring temperature rise. Climate change is real. It's just data. Um, and so it doesn't matter what your faith is. Um, but like I say, my faith informs my reaction to the data and says to me, be a steward and get going. That's a beautiful way of putting it. And I agree. It's not really, it's interesting that we refer to it as a belief system yeah. when it's science. But you were awarded the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation Profile and Courage Award for reversing your position on climate change. So can you take us down, you know, back in history and what caused the reversal in your own personal evolution here? Yeah, for the first six years in Congress, I, I said climate change is nonsense. I didn't know anything about it except that Al Gore was for it. And if Al Gore is for it, then I was against it because uh, I represented probably one of the reddest districts in the reddest state of the nation. But then I was out of Congress six years um, and running again in 2004. My son came to me. He just turned 18, so he's voting for the first time. And he said to me, Dad, I'll vote for you but you're going to clean up your act on the environment. It's the first of a three-step metamorphosis for me. You know, by, by the way, he was not making a classic interest group threat. He was going to vote for me no matter what. I mean, what if we lost by <laughs> one vote? It wasn't in his economic interest to vote against me. Um, and so <laughs> yeah. um, he's going to vote for me no matter what. What he's really saying is, Dad, I love you, and you can be better than you were before. So how about be relevant to my future and my four sisters' futures? And so... That was step one. Step two was going to Antarctic with the science committee, seeing the evidence in the ice core drillings basically show an uptick in CO2 that coincides with the Industrial Revolution, which only makes sense if you've been burning trees in my fireplace this winter. Not a big deal because those trees were just taking carbon dioxide out of the air, sequestering the carbon, and now I'm releasing it. Same geological time period, no big deal. But if I go deep in the earth and pull up trees long gone, I'm changing the chemistry of the air. And um, that's the science. And so that's what I learned in Antarctica. 
Uh, third step for me was another science committee trip and something of a spiritual awakening, which some people would say, now, that's impossible. How could one have a spiritual awakening on a godless science committee trip? Because all scientists are godless, right? And so, um, well, apparently they're not because... Uh, no, they're not. Can confirm. <laughs> yeah. So this... Uh, this Aussie climate scientist was showing us the glories of the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, I could see that he was worshiping God in the way he was interacting with nature. I knew he wasn't worshiping the creation. He was worshiping the creator behind the creation. You know, uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And so Scott was preaching the gospel um, just without any words. But later we had a chance to talk. Um, and he told me about conservation changes he was making in his life in order to love God and love people. And I got right inspired. I wanted to be like my friend Scott Heron in Australia. I wanted to love God and love people. So I came home and introduced the Raise Wages Cut Carbon Act of 2009. Note to self. Do not introduce carbon tax in midst of great recession in reddest district of reddest state of nation. It will not go well for you. <laughs> yeah, that was a bold move on your part, which I applaud. But um, yeah. definitely it took some guts to do that. Yeah, it, it, it didn't work out too well for me in an electoral sense. Uh, in terms of posterity, I think it'll work out fine. But in terms of... Uh, of that uh, election of 2010. It surely didn't work. And I got tossed out by the Tea Party. After 12 years in Congress, I got 29% of the vote and the other guy got 71% of the vote in a Republican wow. runoff. So um, that's a rather spectacular face plant, I will tell you. It wasn't always politicized. I mean, at least not as bipartisan as it is now. If you say the words climate change, people are like, well, you're a bleeding heart liberal. And it just, that's just the automatic assumption that happens. How did we get to this point? Because it wasn't always this way. It wasn't. And it's important to point that out. You know, as, as recently as 2008, I mean, this is getting a while ago now. We've been, been in 10 years of disputation of the science, which is really weird, isn't it? To have a whole decade that we've been disputing the science. But early 2008, Newt Gingrich is on the couch with Nancy Pelosi. We don't agree on much, do we, Newt? No, Nancy, but we agree that climate change is real and we need to do something about it. That was early 08. By the end of 08, Newt Gingrich had changed his position to, oh, no, it's not real. I don't know anything about it. I'm not a scientist. And uh, it, it was the intervening event was the wheels coming off the financial system in the Great Recession. And so that's what I think happened, is that, um, is that some people with some, a, a bag of money uh, came along and created a little wave on top of the high tide of discontent and distrust in the Great Recession. That's the story of climate change. It has to do with the Great Recession and the, the desire of many just to take one bead off the strand of worry beads. We don't need to worry about that one, for goodness sakes. Um, and I think, too, some people that had a sack of cash and they timed their, their ads very well to basically make the case that, no, we don't need to worry about that at all. Well, you say some people with a sack of cash. Is there a very specific sector, perhaps, that has some interests in reversing that opinion? 
Yeah, it's the people with a vested interest. I mean, it's the people that are selling the stuff that is causing the trouble. I mean, if you're um, and, and it depends on who you are, you got to be a little it's, it's broadly speaking to be the fossil fuel interest, people with fossil fuels. that would be the coal people, the people that sell coal, it'd be the people that sell petroleum, people sell um, to a lesser extent natural gas because natural gas burns with 50 percent less CO2. And so. Uh, then that's broadly speaking what it is. But then you look more closely and you see companies like ExxonMobil that are actually now for action on climate change because they've got such a natural gas portfolio, a large natural gas portfolio. But if you're the Petroleum Marketing Association of America, all you got is petroleum and chips and soda. And that's all you sell to us. And so you are going to dig in and fight like heck to keep any sort of transparent pricing of that effect of the burning of your stuff out of the marketplace because you want to keep on selling that gasoline and the chips and soda. Uh, but if you're ExxonMobil, uh, you figure, well, I can sell a lot of natural gas and beat coal better than I'm beating it now. So that may be why they're for act. Social media is a dangerous place to exist. And as a part of my job, I exist there. And let me tell you, at any time you talk climate change, you have so many people arguing that it's a money-making grab by the scientists, yeah. um, which cracks me up. I'm like, you mean my buddy driving the 07 <laughs> Prius? Like, that yeah. is like, you know, the thousand air, maybe the hundred air with how much student debt? Like, I don't... I don't think he's making a power play for money, but I digress. I There is money to be made in renewable energy. It's not like switching to renewables is this suddenly huge chunk of finance or economy gone. Uh, it doesn't disappear. It's just in a different area. How does that compare? I mean, is it is it hurting our U.S. economy if we move that direction and away from oil and gas? No, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity that we don't want to miss. Um, and the Chinese are planning on capitalizing on it. So if we want to uh, let them own the next century, well, here's our chance. Uh, hand it over to them. Let them be the innovators. And some people in America sadly have taken that affect. They say, we're tired of being the world leader. We're tired of leading. We're tired of innovating. And let's just hold on to what we got because it's all we know. Well, Thank goodness that's not the normal American affect. The normal American affect is you got a problem, we got a solution. Come on, let's engineer a solution. And so if we play our cards right, we're going to be the ones that perfect the challenger fuels, that beat the incumbent fuels, and we're going to sell them around the world, creating wealth for ourselves and jobs here and serving our customers around the world. Uh, that's what the free enterprise system can deliver. Uh, but uh, if we sleep or if we just sort of say, oh, well, we, we're, we're tired and we just want to sit down and rest for a while, then uh, the Chinese will gladly uh, take the space and uh, lead the next century. So it's an incredible opportunity for us if we just if we jump on it. I have to, you know, so many of these topics that we've already covered and just your position on climate in general, it makes you kind of stand out a little bit like a sore thumb within the <laughs> GOP. Um, how do you handle having conversations with your colleagues, with your peers um, on the topic of climate change? Because personally, 
I'm from Texas. I live in Georgia. In fact, I've lived my whole life south of the Mason-Dixon. And I find it very difficult to talk about climate change, even with my own family. Um, how do you have these conversations? What are the interactions like for you? It, yeah, it's it's important to approach people in their own language, right? It's sort of like, uh, uh, you know, I've been involved in church plants, and I know that uh, the people you put up front are the people you're going to get in the pews. Because when people come in and they see who you got up front, that's who's going to sit in the pews. And so you got to, if you're going to go to people with a new message, you got to make sure to speak their own language, right? And so it's not so new of a message, though. It's basically a message of accountability, but it has to be delivered in the language of conservatism. And too much of the conversation about climate change has been in the language of the left, it's basically, let's do with less, let's feel guilty, let's attack the capitalistic system that's so evil, let's walk and eat bugs. Um, you know, I mean, it's basically just a do Walk with, and eat bugs. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a, a do with less, feel bad about yourself, and, and sort of lash yourself. You know, that's sort of the message. Um, well, that sells on the left for some people. Um, they get all excited about wearing the, uh, the, the, the hair shirt and all that, you know. But, um, but for the people on the right, what they want to hear is it a message of energy abundance and a calling to serve the world by creating more energy, more mobility, more freedom through innovation. And when you start talking that language – then conservatives can say, okay, now, now I'm getting it. And, and I could come to that church because I see people up front. I hear people up front that sound like me, look like me. And you're not telling me that I got to just eat granola, you know, or something. And uh, that, that uh, I don't, I don't, I like granola fine, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's like, do you, do you, do you want it to sound like it's only the left? And if it is, well, then You'll fill your pews in the climate discussion with just people from the left. Let's pause for just a second here for one of our recurring segments called Hot Mail. That's not Hotmail trademarked as in the email service, but Hotmail because it's coming in hot all about climate change. Now, since we have published some of these warming signs episodes so far, you have let us know what you think. And some of these comments certainly are hot. Let's start with our first comment here, which has taken me three or four times to try and record from Excoy Alvarez. He says, I just had tres leches pancakes with a steak omelet for breakfast. Burp. I can't record this. Thank you so much, Mr. Alvarez, for your insight. I feel so enlightened. This was definitely on topic on the Warming Signs podcast. Mike Moody says... Did Al Gore tell you to say that? Yes, he did pay me to say that. But once that check stops clearing, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to reveal the whole truth here. And no, no, of course, Al Gore is not paying me. Weather.com is. <laughs> That's my job. That's where I am. And we're talking about science here. So um, thank you to Mr. Gore, but he's not writing my checks. Mr. Jack Volker says, Yep, Miss Occasional Synapse says that it'll all be over in 12 years. Well, I can probably guarantee that Ocasio-Cortez has been called worse things than Occasional Synapse. Uh, but the whole 12 years thing is actually 
coming from scientists who have done this research and said, hey, we really need to make a lot of progress in the next 12 years, or we may not be able to stop that, you know, ball that's rolling downhill of the continual growth of CO2 in our atmosphere. So uh, that actually comes from scientists who study this every day and have dedicated their whole life's work to trying to save the planet. All right. How about this comment? (laughs) I need to take a deep breath for this one. James Jonathan Joseph says, it's called deep freeze, not warming. Divine powers and authority is cooling down the planet while demonic chemtrails using their technology, attempting to artificially warm it up by altering vaporizing clouds, igniting man-made wildfires to terrorism, using toxic formula to trap heat, stalling winds only to create tornadoes, floods, hail and other disasters. Divine powers will prevail. The battle continues. I'll just let you guys enjoy that one. Oh, boy. You got to love the comment section, right? All right. Our last piece of hot mail (laughs) comes from Ty Thurston, who says, well, I have no hope for humanity after this comment section. I appreciate that comment, Ty. And if you guys want to, you know, have a conversation, strike one up on Twitter with me at WeatherKate. It's spelled weird. Weather, K-A-I-T. Yep, that's my name. And we can talk more about this. I can tell you and assure you. Yeah, my comment section has been lit up lately, so we can dive into it. Now let's get back to Mr. Bobby Inglis. So if you had to make an argument for climate change to be on the GOP agenda, what would be your elevator argument? You got an elevator ride to give it. What would you say? I'd say this, uh, we believe in transparent, accountable marketplaces where all costs should be in and all subsidies removed. And then watch the free enterprise system sort this out faster than government mandates or regulations or fickle tax incentives could ever imagine. And so all we gotta do is just bring all cost to account. Put all your cost on all the fuels And then watch the free enterprise system sort it out in the liberty of enlightened self-interest, not because the government told you which one to choose, but because when people start seeing the true cost of coal-fired electricity, the health damages that the emissions cause, the climate damages that it causes, they'll choose the other. And at that point, wind and solar don't need any subsidies. Nuclear makes a comeback. And uh, natural gas does very well until something else takes it out. Um, That's the power of the free enterprise system. So I'd say at the top floor of that elevator, do you believe in free enterprise or no? And so it's, it's rock solid conservatism. Is there something that is giving you hope? Is there progress that you're seeing that is inspiring you for our future? It's different than it was when I got tossed out of Congress in 2010. Back then, the darkest days of the Great Recession, um, now the economy's better. Um, Now we've had more experiences with climate change than back then it seemed like decades away. Now we realize, no, it's right here and now. And the third difference- And costing us money. Yeah, and costing us lots of money. Um, doubling the number of billion dollar disasters, for example, um, it seems to be uh, in, in, in part related to climate change and to some uh, population concentration and patterns of development. Um, but um, so those are two of the differences. The third one, so, so one is um, the economy is better. That's different. Second is the uh, 
that we've had more experiences. All of us have had more experience with climate change from wildfires to hurricane intensity to flooding events, those sorts of things. But the third difference is the growth of what we call the eco-right as a balance to the environmental left. A huge thank you to Mr. Bob Inglis for taking so much time with us here on the Warming Science Podcast. If you want to participate in the conversation, I've said this before, but tweet at me at WeatherKate, K-A-I-T, because there's a great conversation going on there in my mentions. I mean, not all great, but mostly great. And I would love to participate. And if you just want to participate in the conversation, that's a great place to do it. Uh, I want to thank Mia Bichak, Jim Robinson, Dan Wright for making this uh, podcast happen as producers of this show. And we come to you every Tuesday. So make sure you download and subscribe because we'll just magically show up ready for you to listen to every Tuesday at noon. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 